We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and who like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. Wherever but more uncertain now. And listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce is She tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, uh, if you yeah. black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In fun. That's why Four, you need to take a three, meeting with Kanye two. West, Bernard Arnault. Hello, and welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm joined today by my good friends. Steve Jeffries. Yogi Paywall. And so today we're going to return to one of our common themes on this podcast, which is, you know, speculation about what is finally going to blow up this goddamn stock market. <laughs> uh, we've done a previous episode about Masayoshi-san and SoftBank and kind of their role in inflating much of this tech bubble we see now mm-hmm. where, you know, Elon Musk is worth $100 billion and all this stuff. And we're going to follow this up uh, by today discussing another uh, lesser known SoftBank investment, uh, Greensill, and its billionaire founder, Lex Greensill. And Greensill is a pioneer in an exciting new financial practice. And uh, by exciting, I, of course, mean unregulated, which is called supply chain financing or reverse factoring. Uh, and to discuss this, we are joined today by an expert on the practice, uh, Riley from the podcast Trash Future. Riley, thank you for being with us today. Hey, uh, thank you for having me on to discuss uh, the thing that I cannot stop boring people at parties about, <laughs> supply chain financing. Um, Greensill, it's, Greensill is like, um, once you learn about Greensill, then you just want to keep going. You just want to keep digging, and if you learn too much about Greensill, you'll find yourself uh, stuck. You'll find yourself in my, in my situation, which is where you have like PDFs of reports of Credit Suisse funds open in front of you, so you can just marvel at what this guy has enabled. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you very much for having me to discuss. Yes, this my favorite thing. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to start, which was just, you're the one who suggested Lex Greensill to us, and I uh, started to look into Greensill, and you're right, it does have my favorite aspect of uh, finance in general, which is uh, newspaper reports that are written to make it as boring as possible, but if you read enough of them, you realize a massive fraud scheme is going on somewhere here. Uh, <laughs> but I guess that would be a good place to start, would just be uh, what what drew you to Lex Greensill and what, what made you interested in this company, Greensill? Yeah, so, okay. what um, One of the things I think is that makes Lex Greensill very interesting and makes Greensill interesting is, in fact, that there isn't any fraud going on at all. It's hmm. completely legal, but it's also totally fucked. And that's, I think, what makes it doubly interesting. Anyone can be a fraudster, but what Greensill does is he... he he manages to sort of benefit in the same way, but he sort of is very good at making it legal. So he's not actually committing any crimes. He's just ma- or that we know of. He's it, it's just he's found a way to kind of take advantage of this of the way that financial regulation works um, to sort of to to circumvent a lot of regulations that were sort of dreamed up in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Um, but how I became interested in Greensill was um that i okay i i'm i'm my, my, like yourselves i'm also a, a avid softbank watcher 
And I thought it was very interesting that SoftBank took a stake in this co- when SoftBank took a stake in this country in this company, because this is really not their normal kind of thing. This is not this is not something that's sort of promising to uh, say you know and th- th- their kind of thing is is Zoom you know the robotic mm. pizza truck that they gave a, you know billions of dollars to to become the Amazon of food <laughs> that right. invented uh, a round pizza box and then went out of business. That's a much <laughs> more SoftBank type investment. Or like Zymergen, which is a an innovative materials company that created, uh, in its 12 years of existence and across hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, one uh, kind of uh, film. Uh, that's it. You know, that's much more SoftBank. Whereas Greensill is a very boring company that is, on the surface anyway, that is not. It's not their usual profile. It's a boring financial services company. Um, and what I what really piqued my interest was. When um and when I sort of when I noticed that uh that Greensill was the introducer, so that was they and we'll explain what all this means. But they were the sort of the, they were the they were running the client acquisition for a Credit Suisse supply chain finance fund, while they were a SoftBank investment, and they were then introducing other SoftBank invested companies to that fund. Um, and if you know about supply chain finance and how and different technicalities around that, you'll know that that is incredibly fucked. And he has, uh, for reasons we'll explain, and he has a history of, let's say, ethical gray area behavior around um, sort of, let's say, inflating the values of companies that he's working with or finding ways to like privatize public subsidies and so on and so on. Uh, and so all of these things together sort of suggested to me like, because my thesis, right, or the pod, the Trash Future podcast thesis generally, on the um, on on say what's going to crash the stock market next, as you said, is that the the current Wild West, the current uh, the current sort of source of risk, is um, it's corporate debt, because the 2007 was a crisis a crisis of pers- of uh, largely personal debt. It's not saying that the people involved were at fault, but more like. Um, that's just who was holding the debt that was unsustainable. And so uh, that has now all been much more tightly regulated. Uh, mm-hmm. However, um, the corporate lending, lending to businesses, businesses raising debt and so on, has become, was, is where all of the banks that were hungry for yield went. And so the less regulation there, the better. And if you want to know what the picture is right now, I was looking at an investment-grade uh, corporate bond ETF the other day. Um, and... It's considered investment grade, so it's considered to be very safe. And upwards of 50% of the securities contained in this bond were rated triple B, which is like the lowest rating you can have. Yeah, you know how, how bad you have to fuck up to get a triple B rating? <laughs> yeah. like, you're just not yeah. bribing the right people. <laughs> Precisely. So it's like, and I see gr- companies, and the, the difference is there were, with the 2007 crisis, there were many, 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 many l- borrowers and a very small number of lenders. Whereas, with the with the coming crisis and corporate debt, um, there are many, 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 many borrowers, many, 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 many lenders, and they're all engaging in shady financing of one another using different vehicles, of which supply chain finance is one. So it's not necess- So it's like I see this as more of an example case as to how this particular billionaire is going to, um, you know, fly the fly the economy into the twin towers essentially. 
Hmm. Well, it is interesting on like what you said earlier about how it's it's not really fraud because it's all been legalized. It, it's like my favorite fact about how the United States always shows up near the bottom of the global corruption index because we've we've changed the word bribery to lobbying and we've made it legal. So there's actually yeah. no corruption here and there's there's nothing illegal going on whatsoever. Um, but I guess we, we mentioned this thing at the top, reverse factoring uh, or supply chain finance. Um, it's a little complicated, but we should, I guess, start by, if you could, give us your best college try at explaining to the listeners what exactly that is and what Greensill does. Of course. Uh, and that's, and this, is, this is what's so interesting because it's basically just mafia shit. So <laughs> when... Um, Basically, if I am a uh, if I'm a company, so let's say I'm Vodafone, right? I have mm-hmm. my suppliers and my customers. My suppliers, let's say they they sell me my handsets, I sell them on to customers. Um, I'm Vodafone, and I've agreed to pay my handset supplier, um, I don't know, let's say a uh, hundred pounds, just for simplicity, in ninety days. Greensill uh, Greensill says, hey, you can get paid ninety eight pounds today, right? And so what happens essentially is that they accept a, a for a shorter uh, payment period of repayment, they accept a smaller amount of money. And then what happens is that um, it, it, it is essentially like Vodafone then never has to keep money on hand to pay its suppliers. It owes all of its money to the factor, the person who is essentially paying the suppliers on their behalf. <laughs> and... Um, what makes that, I think, very interesting, so this is the company that handles its accounts payable via a third party rather than paying its suppliers directly. Suppliers accept a cut, but get paid today rather than in the future. And what they say, and essentially then, what Greensill does, how they, how they pay all of Vodafone's bills without also having Vodafone's business, is that they will create a bond, so they will securitize that, and then they will sell it on. Um, so essentially you can turn your supply chain into a bank uh, that you can just borrow, that you can borrow from. You no longer need to have, the, the money you make no longer gets spent on, the, on running your business. You now, uh, that has now been financialized. That has now been, that basically you get to pay your suppliers on the expectation that you will keep trading at your current level or higher, more mm. or less. Um, and the the thing that makes this most interesting, uh, well, there are there are like twenty things that make this interesting. But the thing that the killer thing that makes it most interesting is that is that when you raise debt in this way, it's not recorded as debt on your balance sheet. So it's just it's just it's just operating expenses. So it, it so you look like a very healthy company for a very long time if you have a reverse factored supply chain. Because the way that you can, the way that bonds say get low rated, for example, uh, is how much debt you have, um, <laughs> as a ratio of your um, uh, of your equity or your revenue or what have you. So you know, if you use reverse factoring, you can kind of keep the appearances up of being a very healthy company, while in fact being dog shit, effectively. And right. no one can stop Greensill from doing this because it's not a bank; it's a tech company. So everything they do is perfectly legal. Yeah, as soon as you say the word uh, securitization, I just see uh, Leo in Wolf of Wall Street uh, throwing <laughs> midgets down the hallway and you know doing coke off uh, prostitutes' rear ends and these sorts of things. But yeah, like Indeed. it's it's crazy that essentially the way that I've uh, understood it is suppliers can just turn their um, accounts payable department 
into a securitized revenue stream or a securitized money stream that can in turn be insured and sold off and uh, create a giant debt bubble. Effective, effectively, yeah. I mean, once again, it's one of these things where it has a perfectly legitimate or legitimate within the logic of this system. Mm-hmm. It has a perfectly legitimate use, which is just you can if you want to like get access to working capital quickly for doing something or whatever, you can. Right. Fine. But yeah. the fact is like that the fact that but the problem with this kind of speculation is it always comes down to this sort of core core contradiction which is that eventually which is that you they it assumes that everything always grows forever as soon as it doesn't grow the more financialized you are the more the more layers of finance you put on yourself the harder you fall down and the harder you take everyone else down with you and and the other thing right is like, and, and this is just this is in the Vodafone example let's say you're a vote you're a blue chip company that will definitely come up with the hundred pounds in the 90 days but your supply chain but your supplier agreement used to be that you'd pay invoices in 30 days but then Greensill comes along and says hey extend the payment term so long that you'll put other other companies almost out of business because you'll just won't pay them and you have enough power to compel them to sign it hmm. uh, and then we'll say we'll come in as the good cop and say hey if you accept 98 percent of the bill then it'll be one day so that's what they do. They the Greensill comes in, says, "Hey, extend your payment terms massively." Uh, then we'll be the good cop, um, and then Vodafone is able to is it's is able to invest in the financial instrument that owns its supply chain debt. This is not an example. This is real. This happened. <laughs> uh, and if you want to know sort of how Vodafone gets so co- got so cozy with Greensill, not only did Greensill sort of basically sort of claim to have invented this practice for them in 2009 or 10, but then Vodafone's treasury director joined Greensill as the CFO in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it was. it's basically it's for these big blue chip companies that just want to access working capital, and the idea that Vodafone isn't going to pay its bill is, you know, unthinkable. Um and of course, it's unthinkable until it happens. True. Uh, right. But additionally, what then he does is then he says, "Okay, well now that I've got Vodafone in my in my in, in my um in my stable, this fund can now now has this stable income. So now I can go seek out high return, right. very very risky investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that comes to sort of a bunch of like, you know, famous debacles." Of again, companies that turn out to not do anything or that aren't trading or whatever that he just puts into the um, that he just t- t- like just reverse factors and then creates all this risk around them and then creates massive problems when they when they blow up and blow up they do and many of them have blown up recently. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of the we did an episode on Euro, the euro dollar market. Where there are obviously oh, yeah. le- there are legitimate uses for euro dollars of companies or sorry countries rather trying to get uh, needed imports when they don't have access to dollar swap lines and whatnot, but mm-hmm. like the the modern implications of that is that it's used to fund uh, extremely highly leveraged lending in international finance for companies like Greensill. Mm. That's precise. Oh, it's why Eurofinance is so skeezy. Um, it's because it's basically it's it's basically just like different guys from 
from from euro for different euro dollar guys just like investing in one another's sort of like you know, shitty black boxes that they use to raise debt against and then you know token mayfair <laughs> it's like well Cor- like corbin didn't want jeremy corbin didn't want the uk to become just a tax haven for like for shell companies to do this type of thing and that's it or rather like airstrip one basically or something a refueling station for other empires mm, effectively yeah but like L- the city of london is just like notorious for this behavior in particular it, oh, it, yeah, like it, to- it totally makes sense that reverse factoring would take off there specifically was it was it you who mentioned earlier in the chat before the episode was that um uh, it was supply chain finance was invented in England, not oh, by yeah. Lex Greensill, but <laughs> for sheep farmers. Uh, it was invented, oh, factoring, which I guess is the reverse of reverse fac- factoring. Um, try to explain that. Is uh, <laughs> uh, That was invented in the 14th century, apparently, according to the uh, uh, economics journal that I can link to this episode, uh, in the wool industry. And it was a way for the royals to intermediate industries and add to their estates. And little has changed. Yeah. (laughs) But um, just to talk about how much money there is in all this, um, on paper, and I emphasize the on paper part, um, according (laughs) to valuewalk.com, Greensill is one of the most valuable fintech companies in all of Europe. Um, again, quoting from valuewalk.com, in 2015, McKinsey estimated the volume of financial, of financeable, highly secure payables globally to be about U.S. $2 trillion annually. For in- intermediaries, the, they estimated that could be worth up to $20 billion U.S. dollars annually. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, all these um, accounts payable uh revenue streams going on and so if you can financialize and securitize that you can make a pretty penny and this is how uh, lex greensill has become for now a billionaire yeah well he does some weird shit with his billions too um he's an obsessive collector of private planes um and uh, obsessive he but he makes a lot of strange like short flights too um he is an obsessive collector of private planes he also bought a bunch of um of land near his home in Cheshire in, in the UK uh, to turn into a nature park, what? which um, we, we cannot say he's hunting the most dangerous game there. <laughs> we cannot legally say that. <laughs> um, uh, but also, if you want the, the, to... Pro- their own estimates of the size of this market is $5 trillion. But, mm. like, you know, t- it's a company's estimate of its own market. So, you know, take that as um, with a grain of salt. But, like... The prevalence of, of, of this practice is enormous. Uh, every major company use it, um, and most of them use... So, and Greensill is like the face of it, and it's certainly like the most well-known, but there are a lot of them are just like little fly-by-night enterprises that are sort of like companies that exist... Like financing companies that exist to service sort of one or two uh, uh, other big companies. Mm-hmm. But like Boeing, Boeing Nissan, Coca-Cola, Kellogg... If you can think of like a famous name, it's uh, it's reverse factored, and if you want to think about um, and one of the reasons that uh, th- and think about like how many industries uh, are vulnerable to say COVID-related pandemics in say um, I don't know plane construction or what have you right. uh, are uh, going to suddenly have some very difficult questions to answer about their ongoing solvency and what if all of that happens at once. 
Um, and then you're sort of asking yourself, like, what what if we did 2007, but for every company, not just the banks? So in with the housing with the housing crash of 2007 and 8, we had to talk about like what's the contagion. So it's like the mortgage-backed security bundles uh, eventually stopped getting income, and that spread to other riskier assets in the stock market and what have you. So I guess on the other side of Greensill's balance sheet, the risky assets, like what what types of things were they getting into? I guess. Um, I think it's it's for me. I think it's uh, the the contagion. The, it will t- it will it'll hit the rest of the economy in a couple of ways. Um, a lot of the supply ch- a lot of the other sides of the balance sheets are um, supply chain finance funds that are then invested in by many companies that are themselves supply chain financed. Uh, so, and, and SoftBank as such as well. Um, I see this less as supply chain finance being necessarily the systemic risk as the indicator of the systemic risk, which is loose, co- loose conditions on corporate borrowing uh, and, 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 and a sort of a wave of corporate bond defaults uh, that essentially cause that cause and then a wave of, of failures of, um, of non-bank companies that essentially cause mass unemployment in, 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 um, among the people who expect to be going to work at Boeing the next day. So I see it as sort of, as sort of precipitating a kind of um, uh, 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 unemployment crisis in that way, that we're essentially using all this cheap credit, whether it's driven out through supply chain finance or, sort of which, or, or other sort of um, symptoms of the zero interest rate problem. Is that ultimately what we're doing is in in keeping going in the current way by continuing to prop up these companies? Um, what what essentially is happening is there is is pe- there is a pent up and growing um, shockwave that will come, and that the longer we hold off of it through you know things like SCF, uh, the worse it will be. So it's a different kind of contagion entirely, uh, in my opinion. I could also be entirely wrong. Um, but that's sort of the way I sort of I envision it happening. Okay, I was just looking up some stats on like the global supply chain finance market, and so like it it may not be five trillion, but it's still in the trillions, and it has like it's estimated by the World Supply Chain Finance Report of 2018, which is apparently a thing, is uh, about to be about 1.3 trillion. Mm-hmm. So that's including both factoring and reverse factoring. Factoring yep. is also going on, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not we're, we're not just reversing it. Yeah, but fortunately, if this all blows up, it's only going to be limited to uh, companies that supply goods. So yeah. this will be a really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> contained <laughs> economic contagion. For us services people, it's fine. <laughs> I did want to go back to what you mentioned about the private jet because I found this amusing in a, a Bloomberg opinion piece. Uh, apparently, the the firm Greensill now owns four aircraft, and they got uh, we mentioned this one and a half billion dollar investment from uh, SoftBank, uh, the Vision Fund, which is of course um, supplied mostly by uh, MBS in uh, Saudi Arabia. Gave Masayoshi Son all this money to invest in various companies, so he gets this 1.5 billion dollar investment from SoftBank, and then he immediately goes and buys another private jet. <laughs> which, in fairness, if I got my Saudi Arabian blood money, that's exactly what I would do. You know, you, well, you, you I need mean, the, you need the heated seats to forget about the Yemeni children that paid for them. 
<laughs> well, you need basically the key is um, you need to you need a, pr a private plane to get where you're going, and then you need a private plane to continue going on from there. You can only go from <laughs> one airport to one airport. So you know, if, if he wants to travel anywhere, he needs to use upwards of nine planes. No, he has also way more than four planes. He has he has like a small airline. He's like a small fleet of planes because he has some personally as well. Um, it's uh, it's 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 very cool. The man loves planes. He loves his nature park. The thing about him, right, is that he's basically a nerd. Um, oh yeah. I've I've sort of spoken with people who know him, and he's just sort of he's kind of a dork. Um, and but he like if he's friends with you. Uh, allegedly, he'll just supply chain finance whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> so, like, if, if he would supply chain finance grub stakers if you guys just, like, cozied up to him. <laughs> you guys could get, like, a $15 million loan. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I listened to the Trash Future episode you guys did, and you, you made the joke about him uh, supply chain financing your Patreon revenue, yeah. but I'm not actually stealing the joke because I'm serious right now. <laughs> I want... I want this uh, reverse factoring on our Patreon revenue. Um, so he's also the he's the subject of like a number of controversies because he just makes these, from an investment standpoint, bizarre decisions. So like for example, um, uh, fifteen million dollars went to a company called Special Needs Co., which was a mm. small um, uh, school for uh, disabled children that was run by his neighbor. Uh, just. His neighbor, and his neighbor was called uh, Barnabas Borbleby, <laughs> uh, which I think is just swell. You know, when, um, I, when I read that piece, it reminded me of the uh, Futurama character Barbados Slim. Like, it's just yeah. such ridiculous names. <laughs> what a name! Um, Britain has Britain is just sort of generally a, a, a sort of um, an abject place in many ways, but boy, do we have some good names. <laughs> But yeah, it's like what? F so they generated fifteen million in like securitized debt on this small school with fifteen students. <laughs> that a million per student, no child left yes, behind. Exactly. <laughs> Look, I'm actually an expert in uh, special education, and that's how much it costs. So I don't see anything out of the ordinary here. Mr. Bo Mr. Borbleby, have you just bought a plane? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the that's for the children. Um, like yeah, you actually so can't teach special needs children unless it takes place on a Gulfstream jet that is currently in the air. <laughs> yeah, it's they uh, can't it, focus it, otherwise. Yeah, the, the well, it's the uh, the the solar radiation helps them. That's right. Um, exactly. so the other other interesting targets of his supply chain finance include a hotel in Mogadishu run by a private security company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just, you know, if you want, if you want to think about like. Um, uh, uh, Saudi money flowing to uh, the CIA. Look no further than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be noted a lot of these private security companies have basically been used as cutouts by you know the CIA, U.S. government, whoever. So if you're a, a Lex Greensill guy and you're trying to stay close with government regulators, um, private security companies are a good way to do that. Just uh, mm -hmm. be be able to do favors for people uh, high up in uh, the national security state. Well, that that's the way to think about this. Is that it, if you look at the um, if you look at the actual like audits of these funds, you see all these strange companies like an Australian platform for reinventing juice or whatever that gets like ten million dollars in supply chain finance. Just strange things until you realize, oh, it could be that he's just doing these as favors. 
<laughs> I want to be the guy who reinvents juice. Like, all right, hear me out. Instead of sugar, what if we use salt? Like, let's just try it. And it's, called, it's called the Food Revolution Group, and they say they are an Australian-owned food and beverage manufacturing company. Um, and thirty billion, uh, right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it. I thought you were doing uh, a bit, but that's the real company. Yeah, that's the real company. Um, again, like it's it's one of these things where they're all thinking they they export juices and so on. But like you know you you it's it's just it's a list of random companies and you just wonder how many of these are favors. Um, the, that the, is true well, though. If you want to get if you want to get money from Masayoshi Son and SoftBank, your investment pitch should sound like you're doing a bit. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. You should be able to like have a killer. It would work as a killer five minutes in a comedy club, but it would also get you one and a half billion dollars from SoftBank. Um, and so, well, the interesting thing right about about SoftBank as well. Is and this is what sort of got him in hot water and has led to supply chain finance itself being a little bit less popular recently. Uh, which is remember I said I've talked about Credit Suisse quite a bit, right? So Greensill, the company, became the exclusive introducer of companies for credit for this Credit Suisse. Uh, hang on, what was it called? I have it in front of me. Um, oh yeah, the Credit Suisse uh, 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 Nova, and then in parentheses Lux. Supply chain finance high income fund. Um, there are several, but this is that's an example of what they're called. Uh, funds are always named after luxury goods, hmm. um, and th- and so then Greensill says, "Okay, I'm gonna you, I'm gonna, I'm then going to supply chain finance four companies: um, Gauzy, Fair, uh, what was the other one? OYO, which is one of my absolute favorites, uh, and View, a window manufacturer. All of which were SoftBank invested companies." That right there already should strike you as very strange. If you remember what supply chain finance does, is it allow one of the things it allows you to do is disguise debt as revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a soft bank company and you're then introducing four more struggling, might I add, soft bank companies to your supply chain finance fund, and then SoftBank invests in the fund, all of which is true, all of this happened, then what happens? is you have essentially allowed SoftBank to use its capital in those companies to look like revenue rather than debt. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, uh, to talk about what we said up top, which is, you know, reverse factoring is mostly unregulated. Um, Again, from the Trash Future episode you guys did, uh, I found fascinating that according to European regulators, companies are quote-unquote encouraged not to report (laughs) reverse factoring debt as operating expenses. So, you know, again, this kind of voluntary encouragement by regulators to just not completely cook your books is why you know SoftBank might want to invest in this because ValueWalk.com makes a pretty good point on this article that I'll link to, which is basically like if you're a big, uh, reliable, credible company, it's actually uh, typically cheaper to borrow from a bank uh, if you don't have intermediaries in your supply chain. Mm-hmm. And they say, therefore, the primary incentive to use supply chain finance is to make your balance sheet look stronger than it really is, unquote. Mm. And, and, and like I said, if, if you're wondering why more companies aren't failing during this sort of protracted demand crisis where, you know, I think again, unemployment is also probably much higher than it's being reported as, especially in Europe, mm-hmm. then you know, this begins to make more sense that essentially... 
if you want to if you want to take a super macro view of it um what's happening is that money still needs to get to people or else you know society collapses right but we need but to preserve hierarchy essentially mm. though that 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 needs to happen via private companies that allegedly do some other thing in many cases though i mean 21% of british firms are now zombie companies which means that they don't do anything other than just borrow and then roll over that debt they don't make enough of a profit to pay even the interest on it none of that stuff um what happens, though, is that they exist from a policy perspective. They exist largely to continue paying their employees. Hmm. And so it means it's a kind of highly conditionalized UBI or sorry, extremely non-universal, extremely basic uh, income where because the government is like central banks are largely lending money at zero percent, then then based then it's very easy to that for banks to then sort of lend that money out and in many cases lend it through lend it lend it in ways that it, it lands in, say, something like a supply chain finance fund, or lend it to, to, to companies that can borrow directly, or lend it to banks that then lend it to companies, and so on. And, the, and then the executives pay themselves fat salaries and you know, give, the rest, give everyone else sort of, sort of kind of what they were getting before. And so you can sort of see this as, 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 a, as, as something that is, um, is building up the energy of a coming crisis. By, by holding everything in place as it is now through sort of this just adrenaline shot after adrenaline shot of uh, cheap credit into into this economy. And so Greensill, I see, is kind of a symptom of that. Hmm. It, is a, it is a mechanism by which this can occur. And hmm. so, you know, like I said, you wonder why these companies haven't failed. It's this and then a dozen other reasons, but that all look like this. What? I do like that we have set up a UBI program for everyone who can su successfully answer the question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> and That's what right. are your weaknesses? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, it, it is essentially, uh, it is, it is, it's UBI for, um, for people who can do uh, online math assessments, for people who are good at answering <laughs> psychometric tests. <laughs> uh, I feel like companies like Greensill are just like, yeah, sure. It's it's seemingly legal what they're doing, but they're also just kind of gaslighting regulators into mm. like they like okay, try and explain to me why it isn't. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a it's one of these things where there's no law against it, so I'm gonna do this thing. The shape of which is sort of radioactively uh, uh, horrifyingly illegal, but that isn't because the way prudential regulation works as you spe you specify certain things that certain named entities can't do. So if you are a bank, if your name is bank, if, there, if there's bank written on your building, then you have to do certain. You have to do or not do certain things. You have to keep certain ratios of capital against your against your loans and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. But if you're not called a bank, then none of those rules apply. And mm -hmm. and if you're not say. I don't know. And if you're not like literally cooking, if you're not uh, oh, literally cooking the books, if you're not in fact um, uh, like like falsifying an accountancy statement, if you just book something as something else and then note that you've done that, everything is sort of fine. It's why prudential regulation, sort of uh, represented by like the Elizabeth Warren uh, Brandeis type, um, it's it's never going to be a long term solution because inevitably. Something like this will come and find a crack in it, which is exactly what's happened here. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about legally changing my name to Bank. <laughs> <laughs> don't no, don't dig, don't do that. You'll have to follow a lot of rules. You should legally change your name to Tech Company. Uh, okay, that's uh, true. Uh, they do have. There is a bank subsidiary within Green the Greensill organization, though. And that's even more interesting to me, uh, because I re- he was interviewed. Uh, it was an article in um, in FN, uh, a financial news publication, where uh, he was where so, well, the reporter was like, "I see you've bought a bank. Uh, why have you done that?" And he was like, "Well, I guess I can't hide that from you." <laughs> <laughs> but, but ah, yeah, t- damn. But yeah, talking about um, you know bank non bank. Apparently, Greensill is the quote unquote largest non bank bond issuer in Europe. So you know it's the cool. same problem with with two thousand eight, <laughs> where you just have a shadow finance system that uh, is completely unregulated and then falls into all these abuses that regulations were supposed to prevent. Yeah, and if you want to think about like your types of billionaires, right? Like it's um. It's really interesting. To me, Greensill is like a combination of the two main types of, well, excluding uh, people who inherit uh, like property or whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I sort of see them as either um, platform monopolists or people who did really well in finance up until 2008. Like guys like Bill Ackman or whatever, um, mm-hmm. who's like the, the SPAC king of, uh, of New York now, or... Um, mm-hmm. Or what are these guys? These guys who are just very good at finance, mm-hmm. and green, and and then the other type is your um is your platform monopolist, and what I find very interesting is that Greensill sort of manages to be both, um, or he's trying to be both. He is essentially someone who is able to provide a financial service that circumvents prudential regulation, but you can see what he's trying to do and what the SoftBank strategy is is to be the platform monopolist, like a uh, Bezos or whatever, of uh, this obscure type of lending that is ridiculously popular, but mm. has become a bit less popular since revel- those revelations I talked about about Credit Suisse. But like the crazy thing is, I, I don't think that's going to have a long-term impact because there was another scandal about him uh, that happened like three years previously, uh, like four, sorry, three maybe four years previously. That was as crazy. It was as toxic. And nothing happened. Uh, if anything, he got more powerful. If after as a result of uh, after those two things, Greensill is still a recognized provider of coronavirus business interruption loans from the government, and uh, it bought a payday lending platform that it's using to quote give employees access to their money every single day they're paid, so they get paid daily rather than monthly. Uh, called Earned, E-A-R-N-D. Nice. And he's now been allowed to basically use Earned to um, pay uh, workers at a bunch of NHS trusts in a pilot program to roll it out across the entire state. Right. And to just kind of start talking about Lex Greensill the man a bit more, uh, he was made a commander of the British Empire for his service to the economy. Uh, so an, an honor he shares with the people who engineered the Bengal famine of 1943 and uh, numerous other uh, esteemed luminaries. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned he, he only gets more powerful after uh, this previous kind of uh, scam he was running gets exposed. Well, he's uh, a senior. He was a senior advisor to both David Cameron and Barack Obama on, quote unquote, supply chain finance. And David Cameron, a former U.K. prime minister, is a board member of Greensill. So you can see why he might uh, get more powerful uh, no matter what. 
as is Julie Bishop, the former Australian finance minister on the board of Greensill. Oh. He really he collect he collects uh, powerful and influential people quite strategically. A lot of the um, a lot of the people who are his counterparties end up getting lucrative jobs from him. A lot of the people who are supposed to regulate him end up on his advisory board. It's part of I think there's a general sort of liberal consensus, and this was true for Obama. It was true for Cameron, which is that um, technology is something. Technology is the best. Uh, vehicle for liberalism to deliver progress and so anything that calls itself a tech company should essentially have runway cleared for it politically relentlessly and constantly and so basically even though again what he's doing is like oh 2007 stuff you know because it looks and acts like a tech company because he talks about code and so on and so forth um the the sort of regulators the the Entity, political entities that are supposed to regulate him end up facilitating him because the only thing they know how what to do the only thing they know how to do when faced the technology company is to encourage it because for Obama the main way he could tell Americans that progress was happening was that there were more apps right. essentially yeah. and so it's the same thing you, it, it is not in their DNA to look at this kind of thing as anything but good. It seems to me that the like allure of big tech seems to confuse and scare traditional uh, empires into buying the bullshit outright because they are so afraid of being wrong that they're like, fuck it, just let them do whatever they want. They're going to take over the world almost. Yeah, I, I think that's right. There is this sense that um, I, I think a lot of people sort of feel as though they missed out on Facebook and Google beca- right. and so on because they didn't understand them. Um, because they were, you know, may have been, because traditional value investing, where you sort of invest in a company on the basis of its, uh, we're sort of going way into theory, but uh, traditional value investing is basically just about investing in a company on the basis of its, like, revenues and you, your assumptions about its ability to pay dividends. But, you know, that makes a lot of assumptions about things like efficient markets, that makes a lot of assumptions about um, management, not self-dealing, uh, and that also assumes that the goal isn't monopoly, it's just you know, steady revenue generation. Right. And what I think everyone has failed to appreciate is that no one understood this sort of massively valuable sort of platform monopolies that are now like providing what, like 80% of the growth of mm-hmm. the of the stock market for the last like 12 months. No one right. understood them. And so now I think there is a, there's a sense that a lot of things people don't understand are going to be the next one of that. And so there is hmm. this rush to sort of implement and support and sustain and promote things that are just not understood well. Yeah, it's kind of like when Marvel movies started popping off and then everyone was buying superhero concepts because they are like, we don't want to be behind in terms mm-hmm. of making movies about <laughs> superheroes and lose the next billion dollar franchise. But instead, it's yeah. dumb tech companies. All right, so I'm changing my name to Bank, B-A-N-Q, and I'm a tech <laughs> company that bans letters that start with the word Q on the internet, and uh, mm-hmm. I need millions to do this. Yeah, of no, course. If, if you look at these New Deal regulations, they clearly say nothing about banks spelled with a Q. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's sort of kind of what happened here. <laughs> it's just that they put non in front of it. Right. Because, like, Greensill is not a bank because it doesn't take deposits. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sure does have – It's what it does, effectively, is it takes one big – in reality, it takes big deposits in terms of the funds it represents – or it's uh, and or it funds that are invested in it, and then uh, it issues loans, 
uh, but it's not really issuing those loans. It's engaging in a, a, an invoice facilitation process or whatever. So they just like rubbed out. They just they erased all of the stuff that wasn't allowed, and then just wrote, <laughs> and then just wrote in synonyms for it. There's nothing in the rule book that says dogs aren't allowed to maintain a forty to one leverage ratio. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, your um, bank. I wonder what if you okay. So I mean, you're disguising debt as revenue it, but what if you just like and that's totally fine as far as international accounting is concerned for the fi- fi- federal financial regulators but what if you were to just undo that and say no it really is debt i wonder what their leverage actually would be well it's it's not just theirs mm-hmm. it's every company they deal with you know it's yeah the, oh that's what i meant yeah. the, yeah, their yeah, cu- their customers I mean. yeah i think you'd see a lot of down i, I mean if that rule were to be changed, I mean, again, because there is sort of no good oversight of how big this market actually is or how much uh, funding actually exists in all of these companies, it's so frag, it's so fragmented. Um, you know, it's it could it if it could it could precipitate a mass downgrading of corporate debt and then cause them to be unable to roll it over, or at least unable to roll it over affordably. Okay, um, like a lot of a lot of the A-rated would go to BBB. Uh, again, maybe because you just don't you don't know how what the prevalence is within each particular company. I remember Telstra had twenty nine twenty nine percent of its accounts receivable of its accounts payable rather uh, was was handled through uh, Greensill, for example. Hmm. So Telstra being a major Australian telecoms provider, it's really popular in telecoms because of the sort of quite stable nature of the contracts. But you know, as soon if let's say Telstra gets less popular it can sort of go quite a long time without that being reflected in its balance sheet uh, due to this particular practice. I know that, but so I, I, I don't know, for example, um, I, I, it's, it's very difficult to say because a lot of that information you is just not available. So it could yeah. go down to triple B. It could go down not at all. It could be that some of these companies have like, you know, they're using reverse factoring for their like, I don't know, for some tiny, in, some one tiny insignificant portion of their supply chain. Some companies like Vodafone is quite big, you know, and mm-hmm. because it's obfuscatory, you sort of you don't know what you're going to get till you pull the mask off. Yeah, it's 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 literally off balance sheet. Yeah. So you could you could if you see a lot, but if you see a lot of downgrades to triple B, then that that debt gets more expensive, and, and those comp- those companies start failing. Those and then when those companies fail and those people go out of business, you can sort of, you can see how the contagion would work from there. Um, especially then, a, a lot of uh, and a lot of people would lose a lot of savings because a lot of people might own bond ETFs. Uh, a lot of those bond ETFs that might that have sort of you know like f- even now like fifty percent AAA might go down to as I don't know it could go down sort of considerably. And then what's the value of that ETF done? What have your retirement savings done? And then multiply that by everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, but to just give kind of a brief biography of uh, Lex, Greenhill, uh, Lex Greensill, the man himself, uh, first of all, I think it's interesting to note that he's pretty obscure outside of the financial press. He does not have an English language Wikipedia, though Steve was able to find that he has a German language Wikipedia <laughs> because he set up a, a strange little bank in Germany we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but there's a 2019 profile in fnlondon.com by Duncan Martin. And just to kind of give Lex Greensill's early biography, he uh, quote... Duncan Martin, friend of TF. Oh, 
Good to know. Yeah. Um, Lex Greensill, quote, grew up on his parents' sugarcane farm in Bundaberg, a small town north of Brisbane, Australia. And, of course, sugarcane farms, notorious for their ethical labor practices <laughs> and uh, just always playing it straight with the workers who are never injured and never cut off their eyeballs or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, no no history there worth looking into. Um Greensill was uh, trained as a lawyer and started his career at the Queensland Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. Uh, He says he became interested in finance when he, quote, saw firsthand the impact of late payments on small businesses. (laughs) It's not a small business. It was an agribusiness. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that was not true. It's a very it's a it's a it's a huge farm even now. Yeah, from uh, this John Deere uh, write up on the Greensill farming, it says that he was raised on his father's thirty hectare melon farm. And just to let you guys know, thirty hectares is seventy five acres. So by no means is this a tiny backwoods folk farm. It is a gigantic area for agriculture growth. <laughs> It is, and that's just the melons. There's also a sugarcane farm. Yeah, pa- it's an agribusiness. <laughs> Apparently now it's 3,000 hectares of sweet potato, sugarcane, and oh. watermelon. So this is a gigantic fucking farm. <laughs> There's no sense of thinking he's some sort of country bumpkin and that this is... And he's a third-generation farmer from one of the YouTube videos featuring him from a Woolworths video. So for 75 years, they've had farming in their blood. Yeah. Right, and... Just to make explicit what I was saying earlier, the uh, sugar uh, cane harvesting, it was a primary driver of the uh, African slave trade. And then once that was abolished, uh, labor conditions got 20% better. Uh, So you could just imagine. Yay, incrementalism. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, you could just imagine uh, how his parents managed to give him all that money uh, and how far back that goes and what it goes back to if you inherit a sugarcane farm. But Sean, also wealthy friends gave him the money. Yes. (laughs) I do like, so yes, he founds Greensill in 2011, and I enjoyed this quote from a Bloomberg opinion piece. Quote, at the time, Greensill Capital depended on friends and family for funding, unquote. (laughs) So just does not get more friends and family LLC than that. Yeah. (laughs) That's so fun. Um, yeah, just invent. Yeah, I just use fr- my friends and I'm just a simple country bumpkin who was raised on my parents' agribusiness, and I used friends and I used I used money from my friends and family to start my uh, shadow bank. <laughs> Rags to riches. Uh, it's very fun. I, I like some of these quotes though, because a big thing with Greensill is that he's decided that his line. Uh, is I'm democratizing finance. Right, right. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so his line is basically, like, oh, the little guy, like, you know, special needs group or whatever, who just happens to be run by my neighbor who has the name of a wizard. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, 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 these little guys, they can't access capital or it's done at um, sort of a very high rate. So what we've done is we've sort of invented a way to iron an, an inefficiency out of this system. So he says, it's not about money. Fuck off. Uh, it's, it's 
It's a quest to actually make a difference. The financial outcome of that is just a byproduct. It's a great privilege. So why are you a billionaire with like 50 planes? It's a great privilege to have been able to get where we are today. But the thing that I love is the fact that every day I get to help small companies like Vodafone, Avic <laughs> 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 Noah and MCL Care, uh, Carillion, just other sort of you know real success stories. Uh, a, a payday lender, Bright House. I get to help small companies like Bright House, a payday lender that preys on the vulnerable who have the same dream that I had. We're actually doing good. Yeah, I saw firsthand the impact of late payments on small businesses when my parents seized their property. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But yeah, so Greensill grows up on his uh, parents' farm. He moves to the UK, pursues a career in banking. Uh, right around the time of the 2007-2008 financial crisis, he's at Morgan Stanley. Uh, at Morgan Stanley's where he first kind of if not pioneers, at least popularizes this uh, reverse factoring uh, business practice. Uh, mm -hmm. He then moves from Morgan Stanley to Citigroup, again in London. Apparently around the time he's at Citigroup, he meets uh, David Cameron or, or makes some sort of connection with David Cameron and becomes an advisor to him. And then, of course, David Cameron later comes mm -hmm. onto the board of Greensill. Uh, after he leaves oh, office, if I, if I can, if I can interject briefly, actually, uh, mm -hmm. that uh, he, he he claims he created the the software. He claims he created the method for reverse factoring that he used uh, on his farm for his parents <laughs> as part of his as part of his quest to make um, make finance fairer for comp on, for whatever his asinine quest was. Um, uh, and he's oh, I sent myself to law school while working at a store, and it's like. Again, uh, while well, working as a clerk, and it's like you grew up in your parents' agribusiness. Shut up. Um, but he uh, he then says he did that, and then when he went to the banks, he sort of tried to set up reverse factoring practices there. So he tried to bring that bit of farm wisdom uh, to <laughs> Citibank, and his first major client was Vodafone. Actually, so that's why. So Vodafone has been like a major player in this entire thing. That's why it's right. so important where they are but that relation and that relationship with david cameron that ended up creating the uk's national supply chain finance fund mm -hmm. so we basically like national we we created our own investment fund but like for bullshit <laughs> and um they ended up supply chain financing carillion who is an outsourcing company so it means they basically like massively overcharge the british state for stuff and no bid contracts uh but even they couldn't stay afloat because they kept paying their executives like these fat bundles and so they used the British state to then supply chain finance them, and they disguised in what poor health they were until they exploded in tremendous fashion last year. Hmm. So that's where that meeting with David Cameron went. It ended up in the British taxpayer getting fucked at both ends in the Carillion debacle. Jeez. Uh, but yeah, so he leaves Citigroup in 2011. He sets up his own company, Greensill, to kind of continue this uh, reverse factoring that we mentioned. Um, there's a bunch of different descriptions of uh, how he was supported by his family's assets and a handful of wealthy acquaintances. Um, the the um, quoting from the FN London piece, uh, the group's Australian parent company, Greensill Capital, was supported by more than uh, Australian 90 million in loans from a handful of wealthy board members, including Lex's former Morgan Stanley colleagues and David Solo, the former chief executive of GAM. Uh, and now GAM is, yeah, GAM is a Swiss investment company uh, that um, he kind of, uh, 
really his first success is through there, and he does this all based on personal connections where uh, David Solo, again, the former chief executive of it, uh, goes onto Greensill's board, and then David Solo has a longstanding relationship with Tim Haywood, is one of uh, GAM's most high-profile fund managers, and uh, because of this, Tim Haywood, I believe, as a fund manager at GAM, invests something like 25% of all of his capital into Greensill. Um, what is what, is this guy a wizard? Like, how does he keep doing? <laughs> I, like, I, I talk because basically like uh, congratulations. You guys have now all been inducted into um, like a, a finance journalist uh, sort of um almost like confraternity uh, <laughs> or, or not a fraternity there are, there are all there are also women no, in we're it. Being Whatever. Hazed. I, you have been inducted into a finance journalist guild of people who just learn about i uh, keep learning about and talking about greensill um so because i'm speaking to one of one of these one of these people right now and we're just like trying to work out like what his pitch to gam would have been how he gets these people under his spell all that stuff like what what is it that he's actually doing because like he uh, what the GAM debacle. I'm very excited to talk about. By the way, I, I'm very. It's, it's one of the most interesting. After the GAM debacle, he still gets in bed with SoftBank, with with SoftBank and Credit Suisse. Like mm-hmm. he, he's just, and it's provably, it's provably shit, and it blows up every time, <laughs> and no one could stop giving him money. Right, and it seems like this is all just based on, you know, personal con- connections, yeah. but also you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, you Certainly. know, getting money to these people. Like, uh, in addition to GAM from the same piece, uh, Lex Greensill was particularly close to Vodafone's treasurer, Neil Garrod, and according to people familiar with the matter, uh, Vodafone's payables soon made up a significant chunk of the underlying assets in uh, the new fund. The new fund being, in 2016, GAM and Greensill launched the Luxembourg domicile GAM Greensill Supply Chain Finance Fund. Mm. And um, my understanding of this is they set up these various funds to just stash the bonds or the notes that they get from doing uh, reverse factoring. Is that correct? Well, it's the, the funds go to pay the suppliers. Right. right. So I have a fund. I have a fund. I'm GAM or I'm Credit Suisse. I have a fund that I need to invest. I need to get a return on it above inflation. And I say, hey, presto. Wow. I can I if I let's say I, I like Vodafone as a company by supply chain financing it. I can profit from it at both ends. Right. In theory, I can I can profit when they pay empl- uh, suppliers and I can profit when they're paid by customers, essentially. Um, and so you're so you're essentially say I'll take on that risk for you. Um, and, and so that, that's what, that's what that it, it's against you can, you can basically securitize any expectation of income in the future. And so the idea of these, these funds is that they'll, they will get that, that difference, that 98% where we pay the 98% of the invoice and then you owe us 100% of the invoice, um, mm-hmm. a, a, a Vodafone, right? It's that, that 2% feels like guaranteed income. And so I can, I can imagine how the pitch, how the pitch works. I can also, you know, and you can also sort of see how, you can see how this would just sort of be seem so much like a sure thing the way they would describe it, mm-hmm. um, and 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 you can also sort of see how it's like, oh yeah, we can we like Vodafone, we can profit off the, off of that doubly. Vodafone can then invest back in itself, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 things of that nature. Uh, but GAM, I think, is most interesting because of the relationship between uh, Lex Greensill, uh, Haywood, and then Sanjeev Gupta. I, that's the mm. most interesting element of it for me. 
because at this point, this is when we bring in. Um, uh, 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 if you want, I, again, we if we if you want to look at Gre Greensill, I think is a worked example of two core failures of liberal approaches to financial management. Uh, the first is the is, well, or liberal approaches to sort of economic management rather. The first is that prudential regulation is easily circumvented, as I think we've pretty conclusively demonstrated. Um, and the second is that uh, if you offer subsidies for, if you want to offer subsidies to change uh, public behavior, they're going to be vacuumed up by the people who are most capable of vacuuming them up. So um, Greensill, Sanjeev Gupta, and, and Tim Haywood basically create this scheme to privatize an enormous amount of um, British government funding for uh, green energy. Uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, there were subsidies that were given out for uh, uh, green energy and sort of rebuilding the steel industry, which I, th and I think is terribly interesting. Mm. So um, what happened, if I can may launch into this, is that uh, Greensill and Gupta, and this is from the Sunday Times, uh, they devised this plan to persuade the Scottish government to guarantee a steel smelter, because the idea was that um, Sanjeev Gupta was personally going to save the British steel industry by buying it for, from Rio Tinto right. in 2016. So they basically say, okay, we're going to tell the Scottish government to guarantee a number of my of my smelter's power purchases from this hydroelectric plant for the next 25 years. So that's essentially a guaranteed purchase agreement for a set amount of time. So because that's an expectation of future money over a certain period of time, you can securitize that. So what they did was Greensill securitized that power, pur power purchase agreement into approximately £360 million pounds worth of bonds. Uh, which would have a full value of 575 at maturity, uh, considering inflation, taking inflation into 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 amount, into account rather, um, and most of that deal was then financed by GAM, and then Moody's put them on par with UK government bo UK government bonds <laughs> because yeah. it was guaranteed by the government, uh, and then basically this is now ha this next thing I'm going to say has to be very carefully legally worded which is that this purchase was the subject of an allegation by Reuters that Greensill made a false statement about the Scottish government guarantee. Um, and that essentially was, the idea was to, um, and, and we don't know what the false statement was, I don't know what the false statement was offhand, but uh, so that was this sort of attempt to privatize a, a, a privatize the guarantee of this green energy thing. But that's very small time. The most interesting thing because they realized that there were all these subsidies that were flowing for green energy. So what happened is um, there were these, if you could burn, if you could make green energy, this was not Scotland at this point, this is now the UK, you could um, receive subsidies down the line for it. So what Gupta did was he bought a bunch of diesel generators and he put them in shipping containers. Uh, these diesel generators, he said, we're going to use biodiesel, so it's going to be technically green energy, right. and then we're going to run them 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, which, if anyone listening knows anything about, about, about motors, you can't, right. especially not with, with, um, with biodiesel, which is very dirty, um, in terms of like you know, clogging up motors mm -hmm. and such. So he basically just, he and Gupta... So Gupta makes all of these very fanciful statements about how much power he's going to be able to provide with his with his boxes, um, and how much uh, and, and that if they're running about eighty percent of the time, they would generate five hundred million pounds in cash till twenty thirty seven, um, and that you could, and and that you know he would um, and that 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 he would be able to like guaranteed send them to the British su supply them to the British government and would also be guaranteed guaranteed subsidies. Uh, for uh, because they are renewable energy, 
right? So then once again, that gets securitized and sold to GAM. Hmm. Um, but the problem is, right, is that this is all a brilliant plan. It's a brilliant plan to privatize a lot of public money, except once again, this is utterly fanciful because um, uh, uh, it, it was not able to ever actually turn on more than a few of them. <laughs> um so <clears throat> and so it, and so it it ended he ended up failing to privatize the public money simply because he wasn't good enough he was he wouldn't even run a good enough front business basically <laughs> to make it work um and so every <laughs> and so basically he ended up causing this massive scandal at GAM, causing I believe Tim Haywood. Tim Haywood had to leave. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, T- Tim Haywood then left. But like, for basically just making this fanciful statement about the future earning potential of these uh, biodiesel uh, generators on the basis that it would privatize an enormous amount of UK government green energy subsidy, and much and the only thing that really you know saved the UK from just handing over a bunch of money more or less directly to GAM in Switzerland was that the gener- none of the generators worked basically <laughs> <laughs> and it was after this that SoftBank and Credit Suisse and becoming an official cro- coronavirus lender and being asked to handle the like the pay of every worker in the NHS over like a, a phased period <laughs> this happened after all of that incredible well, when you're a commander of the British Empire, they let you do anything. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But yeah, just to talk about Tim Haywood, just real quick. Like, so yeah, GAM again, this Swiss um, investment firm that was buddy uh, buddy with Greensill. Uh, like we mentioned at peak, the invest uh, they GAM investigated Tim Haywood. Uh, and found that at one point, Haywood had invested about a quarter of one of his funds into Greensill assets. Uh, they found uh, through the investigation that Haywood had taken personal flights on Greensill's private jets and that he had accepted an invitation from Greensill to a Buckingham Palace garden party. Um, you know, and so other cool. such gifts as well. Yeah, right. The, it was the one Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein were. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, yeah, so and then they dismissed uh, Haywood for gross misconduct. But after that happened, GAM's share price tanked, and several senior executives left the firm. So this mm-hmm. like really blew up in Green uh, in GAM's face, just how much of their business was invested in this practice. Right. Didn't blow up in Greensill's face though. Yes, <laughs> no. he's still fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just so weird, right? I was telling you guys earlier about this. Um, uh, about this, this finance guy, a, a skeevy euro dollar guy to be sure, Lars Windhorst, mm-hmm. um, and it's the same thing where it's like, you don't understand what the fuck are these asset managers doing with these guys? Why are they? Why do you st- keep doing business with these people? <laughs> because you just look at a trail of just of 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 illiquid of illiquid securities of 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 a poorly poorly ca- of just sort of poorly capitalized plans of like high profile collapses and you're like I can change him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's yeah. uh, there's asset manager uh that's that keeps working with this guy Windhorst called H2O Asset Management and um Windhorst is this guy who's this financial wunderkind in Germany. Who, by the way, if you guys want to do a full episode about about him as well, I'm very happy to do that. Uh, nice. But 
uh, he is yeah, it was this financial wunderkind who was like paraded around the world by um by Helmut Kohl, and uh, because he like started dropped out of school and started like repairing computers or whatever, became an investor, and then just became after the sort of dot com crash, became then famous for selling illiquid bonds, which is just like bonds for which there isn't much of a market to sell because they're really <laughs> obscure and weird and stuff. And then um, H2O Asset Management this year, which deals like, a lot with Lars Windhorst, was like, we are confident he has not sold us any illiquid bonds. <laughs> and four days later, it was like, Ill- illiquid bond revealment. <laughs> 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 what? He sold us an illiquid bond? But what are the odds that he would do it a 40th time? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but to just talk about Credit Suisse, and then I want to talk about their German bank as well, um, from yeah. valuewalk.com. Uh, so after G- after GAM sets up funds with Greensill, Credit Suisse, which is you know a much more well-known, quote-unquote, reputable bank, they set up three funds uh, over between 2017 and 2018. Um, uh, uh, the demand, uh, again, quoting from ValueWalk, demand for the funds last year, 2019, was so high that a freeze was put in place because supply of investments couldn't keep pace. Assets grew from U.S. $2 billion to U.S. $9 billion over the course of one year. The freeze was removed in March 2020, but by then, demand had evaporated. The fund's assets at the end of June have fallen to U.S. $7.9 billion. And this is partly because of COVID-19 has been a bit of a business problem for Lex Greensill and, uh, you know, business suppliers in general. So some of these... um, uh, accounts payable revenue streams have been drying up because of mm-hmm. COVID nineteen disruptions. That's right, and and also just yeah, it's it's part it's partly that, and um, after the circular financing um, uh, 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 was revealed in Credit Suisse, where like SoftBank appeared to be financing its own companies, um, lending to its own companies through uh, the supply chain finance fund in Greensill, uh, the supply chain finance business at Credit Suisse has. I get. I don't know exactly what it is now, but it is less than what it was. Um, so, but again, will will he face any kind of even a reputational consequence for this? Somehow, no. <laughs> I don't know how. Basically, a friend of TF, uh, Robert Smith, who covers a lot of this stuff as well, whose articles are incredible in the FT. Um, he he noted that there is actually a connection between uh, the Sanjeev Gupta story and the Credit Suisse story. Uh, which is that, uh, let's see, uh, million, $74 million of the Credit Suisse fund was then put through a company called Liberty Aluminium Holdings Company Limited, which is owned by Sanjeev Gupta. Uh. <laughs> these, guys, these guys are just too good of friends. <laughs> they, never, they never betray one another. Those um, are my favorite episodes where I feel like I'm losing at a game of three card Monty, <laughs> <laughs> or like you're trying to you're you're at uh, the baseball game and you're trying to remember which one of the cups the ball is under <laughs> while you're recording. Um, and what I what I think is uh, is is very interesting, right, is that he kept on supply chain financing Liberty Aluminium Holding Company, um, but uh, such a cup. That's very interesting because no such company exists. <laughs> um, wow. And so it appears that it, 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 you know, what it appears to be is that he basically just kept giving a bunch of money to his friend. Um, 
But then they said, oh, actually, sorry, that was what we call a system-generated truncation, which is basically like the dog ate my uh, crucial regulatory (laughs) (laughs) disclosure uh, data point. I forget if Um, we already said this, but Greensill has like 20-something subsidiaries or a whole bunch of different companies within this little Russian nesting doll, right? Yeah, thereabouts. And so it's sometimes it's... uh, it's it's for different sizes, different activities. So it has a little a specialist securitization bit, and it also has a um, a bank as well. Right. Uh, and the bank is in uh, Germany. Uh, it it is. Uh, if you want to know, by the way, one of the other ways that this could sort of end up hitting the public fu- public uh, finances, or in Germany, deposit protection is sort of semi private. But like most things in Germany, it's like semi private but kind of compulsory. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a uh, that bank is uh, guaranteed, of course. Mm. Oh. So good. I, I do like I do like how people just look at Deutsche Bank and go, well, if they can get away with that shit, we better incorporate our bank in <laughs> Germany, huh? <laughs> That's right. Uh, but um, yeah, from from ValueWalk.com, Greensill they set up a bank in Germany um, to act as a warehouse for assets it chooses to keep. The bank uh, was acquired in 2014. As of the end of May 19, the bank has assets of U.S. $1.47 billion. So he's just kind of stuck a bunch of different assets that we don't really know about and that Mm -hmm. uh, may be particularly shady just based on everything we've talked about in this little bank in Germany that is notable enough to have its own Wikipedia article on the German Wikipedia, even though he does not have his own Wikipedia article yet. (laughs) That's right. Um, yeah, so the the why you'd have a why you'd buy a bank is for you know any number of reasons. Uh, it gives you access to um, to more direct. Bo- you can it gives you it, it let, allows you to borrow money pretty easily um, mm. from your from the like the ECB or what have you. Mm. Um, also, it, if you want to, you can protect yourself with as like by ta- calling on um, either the state or in Germany this sort of semi legal semi state entity sort of private entity. Uh, as as a lender of last resort, like basically have, and they also what you can do is if if you want to make one thing look better, you can sort of just choose to warehouse uh, bad debt on the books of a bank that you own. It sort of it it's if he's all it's sort of if he's already uh, let's say playing baseball with a cannon. Um, now he's playing t-ball with a cannon. Hmm. In effect. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's uh, that's that, that so that's the it's so and that's why I say it's like when he was like I see you bought a bank he's like well I can't hide that from you. <laughs> <laughs> but so in talking more about this German bank, uh, it's drawn some scrutiny, some late scrutiny from German regulators as of I believe August 2020. Um, Riley, you were saying uh, there's connections to Sanjeev Gupta in that, or people don't really know what's in it. Um. What if I told you that up to uh, two-thirds of that bank's balance sheet was connected to Sanjeev Gupta? Um, and that you know, a, the, lot of the, a lot of the deposits in that bank are basically just the soft bank investment. Right. Um, so it's like Greensill is basically the world's best friend. I mean, it seems like he took his SoftBank investment and then everything that he didn't spend on private jets, he put directly into his shady German yeah. bank. <laughs> <laughs> so it would appear. It was that yeah. So this um this this ratings report uh, that I was that I was I was just looking at, yeah, it's um that approximately it has like 500 million uh, euros in it, which I, I'm pretty sure is mostly SoftBank money, 
and then two thirds of its assets are related to Sanjeev Gupta. <laughs> so right. don't worry, soft bet. It's just it's just this guy Sanjeev Gupta is just not going away, and the German regulator was like, "We're concerned that you basically have a bank <laughs> that lends to one guy with a history of like shady behavior." <laughs> I don't know. Um, I do respect Sanjeev Gupta just as an Indian man getting revenge on the British taxpayer. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Justice for yogis people. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, so look, uh, will 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 anything come of that? Uh, hope so. You know, because uh, it, it just it seems like every time. Every time that th- that this company gets looked at, some other weird thing comes. Something else that's just weird. Hmm. And you know, uh, by way of kind of uh, of, of summary, right? I-, I tend to think like all like uh, malfe- financial financial malfeasance before it blows up just looks weird, or or things that cause financial crisis before they blow up just look weird. Like the housing crisis before it happened must have just looked very strange. Right. Like, why aren't you recording the incomes of the people who are borrowing borrowing here? Why why do you have you know like nine loans against a condo or what have you? You know, um, it, you're not seem to be working. How come people keep giving you money? And uh, it's ultimately, it's it all of it makes sense in retrospect, right? Once every mm-hmm. once you sort of look at what happened, and you know, so then the question is, all of this behavior from Greensill. The company is just so weird. It's just why does he keep staying connected with this Sanjeev Gupta character? How come he has? How come he sort of will will sort of finance sort of these obvious like failing or uh, or, or scammy companies? Like why does he do it to his friend? Um, how 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 does he become a billionaire from something that is sort of so strange? Like there's so much we don't know. We don't know sort of. Who the, who the favors are all really for, you know. A, a lot of that just doesn't make sense um, until you kind of until you try to think of it from the perspective that the crisis has already happened. Until you try to think of it from the perspective of the future, and you sort of you see sort of you know just um, people taking chances in on, in one sense with the money of other rich people. Like who cares? Right. But in, in the other sense, taking chances with the money of other rich people to in, in what will ultimately be a crisis that is paid for by us you know by people with jobs um mm-hmm. and you know by the end of that we'll say ah how do we let you know non-bank uh, corporate finance get so crazy and then the regulators will come in and say you can't be a non-bank anymore and then you know someone who right now is growing up on his parents' agribusiness in <laughs> Australia is going to invent the way to get around that. Right. Right. They cracked down on banks with a Q, so now I'm on banks with four Ks. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but just a couple other loose ends I wanted to get to before we wrap up here. So SoftBank, of course, we mentioned, invests $1.5 billion U.S. dollars as of 2019. Uh, from valuewalk.com they i believe their valuation of greensill at the time was about 4 billion us dollars i've heard as as much as 8 billion i've seen different mm-hmm. sources on what they value greensill at but it's you know way out of line with actual revenues um, from valuewalk on paper only klarna and revolut have bigger valuations in the european fintech space than mm-hmm. what softbank values um, greensill at and 
you know, kind of a thing that this comes out on the heels of SoftBank's notorious blow up with WeWork. It seems not inconceivable that maybe they're interested in, in uh, Greensill's ability to make their uh, balance sheets look a little more um, strong than they might actually be. Um, mm hmm. A couple other things from the uh, Value Work article. The Vodafone, I mentioned earlier, the treasurer of Vodafone had a uh, direct relationship with Lex Greensill. Um, at the end of 2018, Vodafone had a 1 billion euro investment in, um, the in one of the funds set up by Greensill. Um, the Vodafone's treasurer later went to work as Greensill's CFO. So this guy who got Vodafone to make this big investment in him later goes to work for him as the CFO. Um, and then uh, we mentioned the uh, internal dealings with regards to GAM and SoftBank. But I do encourage people to read the entire uh, Value Walk article because it's like it's very long and it's very detailed, but it goes through kind of all the telltale signs of trouble at a company. And I just uh, I wanted to just pick out one that jumped out at me. Uh, Greensill's UK holding company, Greensill Capital Securities Limited, has no employees. They are recharged from another group company, and five directors resigned on a single day, January twenty second. <laughs> Uh, 2018. Of the five current directors, there have been appoint that have been appointed. Or sorry, of the five current directors, three have been appointed since uh, December 14th, 2018, and an additional director appointed on the same day only lasted four weeks. One of the forensic analysis test sequences we explain in our forensic accounting course looks at board compositions. Red flags are. Directors resigning en masse, it suggests potential for a fundamental problem. <laughs> and directors who join and resign in a matter of weeks, it suggests there could be something they didn't like the look of. <laughs> so, you know, just uh, these mass resignations and these directors coming in and leaving within four weeks. Uh, no, uh, no smoke, no fire here. Mm hmm. That's right. A perfectly it, look. This is it's a work experience mm -hmm. uh, thing. I was a director intern. <laughs> 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 um yeah i mean why not so you know it, look it's it ultimately right like um it's 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 still it's still useful uh to capital i think this this particular function uh it certainly is backed by the state so as chaotic as it is it's just going to go on continuing to spread chaos <laughs> chaotically <laughs> um which is which is great which is great. I love to live in this economy. Um, <laughs> what a I, world! I, hope I get supply chain financed. And also, apparently, Greensill has recently fired their auditor and hired new auditors. Another great sign. Uh, <laughs> great. <laughs> their their auditors are are named uh, Safri Champness, uh, which is apparently yeah. kind of a, a smaller auditor which is just, you know, weird. Mm -hmm. But also, according to Value Walk, the auditor is paid significantly more than typical fees for auditing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, quote, it's quite unusual for a complex financial firm to be audited by such a small auditor. And then they point <laughs> out that the fees that this auditor is charging are much higher than are typically charged, which is, you know, like generally... <laughs> how you have to get somebody to sign off on books that are just on fire right. at the moment. So my, my, my question when this, at the, at the, at these things, right, is always the following. What is the legal explanation for it? Hmm. I mean, no one's yeah. stopping them. Like, it seems like anyone that tries to stop them, they either pay off or fire 
or just hire around somehow. They hire an auditor who doesn't know how to look into their business. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Uh, this is, and that's that's I think is very you know, it's right there, and all of it's legal, all of it is legal. But like, give me, but it's all just like it's like he's he gets by on every single sort of like technicality or thing that wasn't really anticipated, like with the sort of with the general sort of regime of corporate governance by audited audited financial statements and stuff. Um, he just. There just no one really anticipated that there you could just be the sole client of one <laughs> auditor. <laughs> like, like it's the it's the again I think it's a, a failure of like of liberal liberal um, economic governance, which is just assumptions that power doesn't matter and that things are just information exchanges. Hmm. So like. That if you're so that the power of the of, of a company like Greensill over the power of a company like Safri Champness um, doesn't really factor into any of those uh, calculations, and in fact, it's why there's sort of a constant slow rolling scandal about the sort of monopolistic um, big four auditors around the world. Right. You know that that it's like oh right, how did er- like Ernst and Young, which is like our bad, we missed um, all of the fraud that Wirecard <laughs> did. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, fuck you. Um, you registered. Uh, uh, what was it? You booked what one billion dollars of revenue from what turned out to be a single Filipino fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> and, just, and the auditors just like, ah, fuck, we missed it. <laughs> Damn. In fairness, that Filipino fisherman owned a special needs school, and we all know how profitable those are. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, I mean, like going forward, so we already know, uh, you guys talked about this on the Trash Future episode, um, some of the different collapses, like I think it was five or so different companies have had sort of Enron style collapses using reverse factoring, um, just from Value Walk. One of them is in 2018, the UK construction company Carillion collapsed after reverse factoring had allowed it to label almost half a billion pounds of debt as quote unquote other payables. Uh, I, h- other high-profile corporate collapses where the technique has been used in- include uh, NMC Health, Bright House, and Agritrade. Um, so I guess the worst-case scenario would be if this just happens on mass, or if it, you know, not inconceivable, happens with really big companies such as Vodafone. Um, you know, and I, I believe they also do some work with Airbus, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, yeah. Those- I, I mean, I, again, I think the, like, like I was, I was saying, um, I was saying earlier to Andy's question, like the, the real, the, the risk here, it's, it's the, the contagion, if you like, I think is from ma- from mass corporate failures when the green cell music stops playing, hmm. you know, it, that this is, it's not so much, a, it's, it, that's, that's how this goes from a problem to a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and again, it and it, it's not even just like I said earlier. It's not just Greensill. I think it's important not to overstate the systemic importance of this one company, but it is rather this loose lending environment generally. Right. The, the, it's it's musical chairs, and we've all played musical chairs, and we know the music doesn't stop. Uh, it's that's true of every game of musical chairs. Is there are no chairs, but it's fine because the music doesn't stop. Hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, and according to the Wall Street Journal, October 2020, Greensill is currently trying to raise money. And this is, we Mm -hmm. mentioned COVID-19, so they have had some problems with this core business because of COVID-19 supply chain disruptions. 
Um, Greensill aims to raise funds that could value the company at about seven billion U.S. dollars, which is double the valuation it achieved in a funding round in October 2019. <laughs> so they've doubled their sure. own valuation in a year. Why? Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> cool. That's fine. After what? Like how many scandals and corporate failures? <laughs> they're just gonna double that valuation. Uh, it really is just they're just playing fucking Calvin Ball with the. <laughs> there's no better example of how much just fucking Calvin Ball is being. Played with the economy than this company. Hmm. Um, you can also add climate change to their list of problems because they're doing a business. They're they have they're participating in a program with the U.S. Export Import Bank to finance 21 oil and natural gas fields in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Do supply chain financing for them. Um, yeah, he loves. I mean, there that, that's sort of it's similar with like. Um, with the with the generators but it's in in the u.s he'll just he'll finance whatever in the uk he was like oh we could also get uh government subsidies against these as well hmm. uh but hey you know if um if that if that if that becomes a problem he can always just go back to his uh agribusiness i'm sure that'll be fine in a in a sort of what three degree world his australian <laughs> sugarcane farm <laughs> yeah. the country burnt the country was literally on fire like two years a year ago but yeah, yeah, it's fine. All of this will be fine. You know, it seems like it was written as if people thought that nobody could spin five plates on a stick at once. And this guy was like, oh, you could just totally do that if you just focus on one plate every now and then and then move to the others very quickly. And everyone's like, wow, look at him go. None of those plates are dropping while <laughs> massive amounts of money is just being funneled from one plate to another. That's right. That's why you spin the plates is to move the money. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just from the Wall Street Journal, Greensill has declined to say how much money it is trying to raise right now. Uh, according to the company's website, it provided 143 billion U.S. dollars of financing to companies in 2019. It's according to its own website. Mm-hmm. Take it as you will. But I liked, you know, I mentioned earlier their auditor. So another, uh, let's say, smoke coming out of the building signal is mm-hmm. their insurer. Because when we talk about parallels to the 2008 financial crisis, of course, everybody thought these mortgage-backed securities were fine because they were insured by companies such as AIG. Well, all these supply, all these securitized uh, supply chain financing um, notes are also insured. And just quoting from the <laughs> Wall Street Journal here, um, the they set up a uh, six billion. They set up a, a Credit Suisse Group AG managed fund, which was uh, about $6 billion in bonds in the fund. Uh, the fund is marketed to investors as a secure source of income protected by trade credit insurance. Euler Hermes Group SA was one of the biggest insurance providers to the fund, according to a recent Credit Suisse letter sent to fund investors viewed by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Euler attempted to, um, this is not a quote, I'm paraphrasing the rest of the article. Euler attempted to raise the equivalent of the deductible for the insurance on this fund. Greensill replaced them as an insurer. <laughs> so basically, their insurer on this fund was like, yeah, we're going to need more money. There's some risk in here. And they said, no, we're just going to get someone else. Goodbye. <laughs> Look, there's a fisherman in the Philippines who's got a lot of interesting things going on right now. <laughs> but, you know. This is all safe because it's insured. Do not look at the immediate past for any precedents where that blew up. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, and also, but la- last thing, you want to know why he's raising money? One answer could probably be that he realized that um, 
being in a Credit Suisse fund meant that there were marketing documents and his many of his actions were auditable. <laughs> and so he, he might just want to raise a ton of money to basically yeah. be his own asset manager uh, as the supplier of, uh, of, of finance to other firms. Incredible. Uh, one last anecdote from Australia. I believe this is from the Sydney Morning Herald or some other Australian paper. Lex Greensill uh, tried to argue that he lived in London to avoid paying Australian capital gains taxes <laughs> on the $60 million in shares of his company that he sold. Uh, but eventually in April 2020, the federal court in Australia ruled that, no, actually, living in London does not mean you just don't have to pay <laughs> capital gains taxes anymore. But good try. And you know, I'm sure. I'm sure when he gets more uh, former members of the Australian company on his board, he'll be able to give this technique another shot in the next couple <laughs> years, and maybe he'll get away with it that time. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, the, Sco the Scott Morrison people all seem like they're pretty easily bought. I don't think you even mm -hmm. need to give them a board position. I think you just need to give them an office tour or <laughs> let them drive one of the tractors on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> But I think kind of the long and short of everything we've talked about here is, uh, you know, this reverse factoring is a way, a technique that allows debt to be disguised as operating costs for companies. Um, and it allows them to, let's say, cook the books, in many cases, perfectly legally. But there's a lot of risk here. And just with kind of the insane valuations we've seen in the stock market, we're all just waiting for the music to stop. And in terms of places where the music might stop, I think uh, Lex Greensill is certainly a prominent example. Um, but yeah. Riley, I do want to, uh, Riley from Trash Future, I do want to Indeed. thank you for joining us. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity to just uh, plug where people may find you. And of course, if you have uh, anything else or any other summations you'd like to say that we didn't quite get to, uh, feel free. Uh, uh, well, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter. It's uh, at G R E E N S I L L. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, thank you very much for having me. I've had a, I've had a blast uh, talking about this, my favorite subject, and hopefully now some more people's favorite subject as well. Um, to, uh, I, I, I'm also sorry to uh, everyone, um, all of the everyone who knows all the people who are listening to this, who are now going to have this uh, breathlessly explained to them. <laughs> uh, um, Lord, Lord knows everyone I know is tired of hearing about it. Uh, so I, right. I do really appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you guys about it. it listeners, uh, if you guys can explain reverse factoring to somebody at a party without them walking away from you within three minutes, just hit us up and you'll get a free Patreon subscription <laughs> to Grubstakers. That's right. Challenge um, unlocked. Uh, if you uh, you can listen to listen to Trash Future, if you we talk about stuff like this all the time. Like I'm 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 sort of. Um, I guess I'm a bit of a chicken little about the next uh, sort of economic collapse. I'm probably trying to sort of figure out where it's coming from. So if you want to hear more of my wild theorizing uh, wi uh, with me and my friends, uh, it is uh, there that you can find us uh, on any fine podcast device uh, item, etc. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're listening to this podcast already. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Podcasts. You've hey, heard of these. Hey, Riley, before you go, do you think... Peter will eventually get fucked. Like, do you think any of this will ever catch up to him? Um. Oh, wait, oh, Peter. No, I think Peter's going to be fine. He's just a simple agribusiness owner. Lex, <laughs> on the other hand. <laughs> um. <sighs> no, I don't think that this is going to ever catch up with him. Um, I think. I think someone like Lars Windhorst 
Uh, because basically, right, the, the key the key similarity between the two of them, this guy I mentioned earlier, the lesbian tourist, is that they're engaged in issuing f- profoundly illiquid debt right. against yep. um, against companies that may or may not be performing very well. Greensill has the added benefit of then allowing those companies to look like they're performing much better. But at the core of it, right, like what's actually the, the sort of important thing is this is these illiquid debt raises. And, you know, it's there are, a, let's say, the wolves, the wolves of perhaps there's something actually illegal go- going on here that might require legal consequences. Again, I'm not saying that wind that Windhorse asset manager is doing that, but I'm saying like he seems to he seems to have a lot more questions to answer in this regard, whereas Greensill, I don't think he'll face any consequences because he's kind of already answered them all, and he's answered mm-hmm. them all in a way that everything he's doing is, you know perfectly legal if also execrable and so you know the question the only consequences he could really face are reputational and he's already shown himself to be largely immune to them right i mean look you talk a lot about about softbank and deutsche bank um but the other thing to remember right is that uh if you want to if you want to think about this though right how how reputation works is rajiv misra was the head of deutsche's um uh like basically supply like, um securitized mortgage Mm-hmm. Uh, fund in the early 2000s. Rajiv Misra is now in charge of the SoftBank Vision Fund. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. Right? Like, and then he brought all of his, like, you know, Deutsche friends over with him. Yeah. So, like, you know, w- w- if he didn't face any, if he's now right, he's um, as rich and powerful as ever, um, what what uh, why on earth wouldn't you know uh green cell just end up sort of on a um on a similar trajectory hmm. yeah the nice thing reputationally is no matter how much financial fraud lex green does he will always have a better at reputation than his sugar cane farmer ancestors <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah exactly and with that this one grub stickers i'm yogi paywall i'm steve jeffries I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Thanks to our guests. Check out Trash Future. Thank you, Riley, from Trash Future. And thank you, the listener. Check us out on Patreon. Thanks for your support. Goodbye. Oh, and we'll have you back for Lars, Riley. That would be great. Yeah, please do. Wonderful. All right. Peace out. All right. And, oh, thank you very much for having me. I guess I, I, I love talking about this stuff. Also, uh, Steve, I'm sorry. I accidentally called you Andy earlier. I apologize. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, fuck. I so I it's I'm 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 such a I'm such a fool. But oh, it was really it was I also I really I you guys clearly really really did your research. Um and I was I was very happy uh to have someone who actually wants to talk about um you know like the the equity rate the the leverage of uh of Nord Finance Bank AG. 